0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 3 of Major X-Labs, the show uh, nobody asked for, but you're getting it anyway. Um, We're going to be discussing the third issue of Major X, and uh, we have a little bit of news surrounding it here. Um, I was doing a little bit of research because I figured I'd need to fatten this episode up a little bit because, well, there ain't a whole heck of a lot to talk about. So, uh, I looked at Bleeding Cool, which is something I promised myself I'd never do. But I found myself there anyway. And uh, they said at the time this issue came out that this third issue sold out before even hitting the racks. I don't know about you guys, but uh, am I the only one tired of hearing that kind of stuff? Where, you know, we're selling books out before they even show up? Could we, like, stop it with that crap? Um, Like, how do we define selling out? You know, I've been collecting, buying comics for over 30 years now, and uh, I feel like especially in the most recent decade or so, we just get reports like this several times a year for books that really don't, they don't actually sell out. Um, I i guess maybe they sell out at the printer level, but... Uh, I mean, how about we let the stores actually get through some of their inventory before we print, you know, another three or four versions of these books? It's, it feels like, it feels very artificial. It feels like they're trying to cause like a, like a hoopla where there really isn't one. And I mean, I get it as a, as a gimmick, but, uh, you know, I, I still go to the comic shop. You know, I go to the comic shop more often than I should, considering that I get all my new books uh, online. But when I go to the comic shop, I I see literal piles of these books. You know, uh, what was that event a few years ago that Marvel spun out of the whole, you know, Captain America, Hail Hydra thing? Um, How about a couple years back? It was an empire. That was what we just had. Something along those lines, though. But that was touted as being sold out, and, and stores in my area literally couldn't give these books away. I mean, there were... These things were piled so thick on the racks that they were, like, falling off. Uh, same with uh, another book here, Heroes in Crisis. Now, Heroes in Crisis was a book, and uh, that first the first issue of it, I forgot to pre-order uh, on DCBS. Mostly because they solicited it, I pre-ordered it, they decided to push it back, they canceled all the pre-orders, and I forgot to pre-order it again. I assumed that my pre-order still stood... And then I found out that no, it didn't. So I actually had to go to the comic shop for it. And uh, the morning I went, all the all of our, you know, vaunted comics journalists touted Heroes in Crisis number one as being sold out. So I head to the shop and I'm nervous. I'm figuring, oh crap, I'm gonna miss out. I'm gonna I'm gonna be forced to buy, you know, like the one in ten variant that nobody else wants. I'm gonna pay fifteen bucks for a comic that I'm probably not gonna even like. Just because I'm a crisis completionist and uh, I want to, you know, have it, and I get there and you know, bada bang, bada boom, there's 40 copies on the shelves, and 40 is a convenient number for me to for me to go with here. But uh, there were literally four spots for it on the on the racks, all the regular cover. So I'm assuming there were like 10 in each pile. But uh, I don't know. I'm just I get I get so fatigued by hearing that books are selling out when. These poor retailers are sitting on so much inventory And then they they do a second printing and they're stuck with that And then a third printing and they're stuck with that And that's on top of all the variants It's a disaster But uh, anyway, we have some Rob Liefeld quotes About the reception to Major X from around this time Now he says In over 30 years of producing comic books I've never seen anything like this I've never had three books, that's Major X 1 through 3, completely sell out before fans got got a chance to experience them. The fan reaction to Major X has been nothing short of the most overwhelming experience in my career. And uh, I just want to remind everyone that this fellow sold comics in the millions 30 years ago. So, eh, hyperbole is a thing, I guess. Uh, We also get a peek behind the curtain here um, To uh, talk about the reception Okay, Because I did uh, some more of my due diligence here And I looked at the uh, the comic review roundup site Which is another site that I promised myself I'll never go to But uh, I was interested to see if To see what the reception was And and I knew the numbers were going to be low Because they all use the aggregate 1 through 10, best out of 10 sort of thing And of course it's of course it's a Rob Liefeld book. I think that gets points taken off even yeah these books are selling out before they ship. Well they also get, you know, reviewed a little bit lower before they ship, unfortunately. But uh the first issue had 14 online reviewers reviewing it. That's Major X number one. Major X number three, just a month later, because the first three issues were, were bi weekly, only two people, only two online reviewers looked at it. So, uh, I don't know about the reception. I mean, I, I guess it's three if you're counting me, but, I mean, who in their right mind would count me as a uh, online reviewer? But, uh, the reception? Eh, maybe, uh, maybe a little different, I don't know. But, with all that out of the way, how about we get into it here? Uh, this is, of course, Major X number three. Had a July 2019 cover date. Written by Rob Liefeld with art by Wils Pertasio. Colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. Led is by BC's Joe Sabino. Editor Bisa White-Cebolski had a cover price of $3.99 and went on sale May 1st of 2019. Now we open at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters where Wolverine and McCoy are playing tag. And they spend three entire pages doing this. Um, while well, not really saying all that much of interest, uh it also looks like they turned on the danger room's white void setting, because uh if you were looking for backgrounds, you're in the wrong place. Just then, Major X and Cable returned from Greymalkin, and they are soaking wet. If you remember last issue ended with uh, cable, you know, doing like a self-destruct on Greymalkin to get away from surf. Uh and it looks like the way they're drawn here, it looks like they actually brought, like, a swimming pool's amount of water back with them here. There's just puddles and puddles and puddles. Um, now, Cable, he reveals that he was able to secure a pair of sliders for, uh, for his son here, and uh, that's unfortunately not the little hamburgers. These are actually sliding doohickeys, I guess. They can teleport the Major anywhere and evidently any when he needs to be. But here's the thing. He's only got two; and they each got one use, so he can do this two times. Uh, so he's gonna have to make these count; these jumps count is what I'm trying to say. We shift scenes to the Atlantic Ocean, where the members of Surf are checking in with some Atlantean royalty. So I guess that big old explosion at Greymalkin killed nobody. Okay. Now, the royal family here, it's a brother and a sister, and they've got blue skin, they're Atlantean, and I'm assuming that this this tandem are uh, Nomar and Laura? Um, I'm guessing. Uh, they're none too pleased to hear that the Major was able to give the goons a slip. Undertow gets a slap across the face for being, well, a complete loser. Thankfully, that's all the time we're going to spend with them today. Let's hop back to the X-Mansion, where Cable and Major X are in an embrace. With the former telling the latter how proud of him he is and how he'll always have his back, Wolverine expresses that he wishes he could, that they can go with the Major and McCoy to help out in their you know in their quest to save the existence. He's also a bit curious to learn more about McCoy's story. All McCoy's willing to tell him is that uh, this isn't the first time they'd tangled, which yeah is kind of the comment that feels straight out of 1991 in a good way. Uh, he does refer to Wolverine as Lolo, which uh, how about we 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 never do that again. Now the Major and McCoy slide over to Cape Elizabeth, Maine, and it's sometime around the year 2000. So they were able to change time and place, and they arrive right at the foot of a familiar to some lighthouse. Now this is the Watchtower from one of uh, Rob's turn of the century returns to Marvel. This one's from Wolverine, volume 2, number 154, September 2000, cover date. And this was an era where Rob seemed to be popping up on a couple of books. Um, It also came after a really fun run of Wolverine comics by Steve Scrossi. And it uh, totally ignored any and all character development that Deadpool had uh, undergone in the past half-decade prior under uh, Joe Kelly and Christopher Priest, which... I know that got under my skin pretty hard back in the day. Um, Though, we might be able to lampshade all of that a bit with the whole Dreadpool debacle. Or not, I suppose we'll find out. Uh, He also popped back up on cable, uh, this is Liefeld again, around the time of uh, that one story that I won't shut up about, The Twelve. And he kind of derailed what the series was building to. Uh, The whole... Cable series for years Was building to this confrontation With Apocalypse that was supposed to be You know, the last confrontation Between the two, and This issue, Cable number 75 January 2000 cover date Is one that I believe even to this day Nobody has taken credit for writing I know Joe Pruitt is uh, The one who's listed as writer, but he said He didn't write it, Liefeld said he didn't Write it, I think Bob Harris Said he didn't write it, so This one was written by artificial intelligence, I guess, I don't know But, uh, it was a bad issue A very bad issue, and it totally derailed a storyline that many of us were looking forward to see play out So, yeah I wasn't a huge fan of Rob returning around then to, like, kind of undo and ignore everything that came before I was not a fan of that But, back to the story The Major and McCoy recognized this place as being the Watchtower Fair enough This is the place where the essential was born, evidently Now they enter, and McCoy sees a couple of guards directly to his left And he says, two on my six Which, I might be mistaken, but wouldn't that put the guards directly behind him? Like, six as in six o'clock, right? Am I wrong? Maybe? I don't know, I'm looking at this panel here and I'm thinking two at my nine Would have probably been more accurate, or, you know, just plain accurate But what do you do? Now, the Major and McCoy, which I'm getting tired of saying, uh, proceed to beat up the guards. Elsewhere, Dreadpool looks on while some doctor is performing some sort of experimentation on some guy uh, who looks like uh, he was drawn by Eric Larson and not Wills Pertasio. Anywho, McCoy bursts through a window because of course he does, and he beats the hell out of the dock. He's soon joined by the Major, who is trying to destrap the test subject from the table. Then they start getting shot at. It's Dreadpool and his group of goons known as the Scourge. Now, if not for the fact that this main character on the splash page is clearly designed to be a sort of Deadpool, you'd think this entire thing fell out of a drawer of the Image Comics bungalow back in 1993. Uh, Then again, I suppose a lot of Image characters of that vintage were sort of Deadpools, so I guess never mind. Uh, perhaps it's worth noting here that Dreadpool is wearing an X-Men belt buckle. Maybe that'll mean something, maybe it won't, maybe it's a mistake. Who knows? So, let's meet the Scourge. We got Mega Max. And uh, this is a dude who looks like he's wearing an AIM beekeeper outfit without the helmet. And instead of a helmet, he's got a comically large pair of glasses, like the kind you get like at a, in a gift shop or something. Or like a novelty store or a Spencer's Gifts or something. Uh, then we got Pigskin, who's a giant armored juggernaut-looking fella. We got Deadeye Dick, who looks more like a pig than Pigskin. We got Vance Rebus, who, uh, due to the font that they're using here to introduce these folks, made me initially think his name was Uncle Rebus. Um, he's a guy with a... Uh, I mean, this isn't anything we've never seen before. It's like half of his head has like a like a metal dome on it covering one of his eyes. I mean... Yeah, boilerplate sort of cybernetic stuff here. Then we got Minimax, who's a muscled up little dude, and uh, I'm not sure if there's any sort of blood relation between he and Mega Max. So maybe we'll have to wait for the uh, for the Mega Max Minimax uh, one shot to to clarify that. Now, after some small talk, they fight, and they do so for the rest of the issue. Um, we're talking like eight to ten pages of fighting, which. I mean, it's a thing, I guess. And it is also somehow preferable to me than that weird Atlantean pseudo-politics that we got in issue two. So there's that. Uh, Now, the Major is able to best the Scourge grunts, finishing off Dead-Eyed Dick with a kick to the... Well, you know. Uh, Major and Deadpool... uh, Major and Dreadpool make that, uh, then Tangle for another couple of pages. Uh, Dreadpool doesn't look like he's much of a match for our hero. Just when the Major is about to put a hole in Dreadpool's dome, however, his gun is noinked by an unseen force. Major X himself is then lifted off the ground and slammed into a nearby wall, and this will be at the hands of the master of the house here. The Dread Administrator. His name is the Administrator, and he is uh he's in all his imagey glory here, um and we close out this issue with an introduction of the admin's most formidable pupil and it's the Essential. And uh the Essential it looks like a mixture of kickass and Baron Zemo. That's uh the best way I could put it. Uh doesn't look doesn't look very intimidating. Um but hey, he's powerful. He's the Essential. He created the existence. I suppose we're going to learn a little bit more about him in the coming weeks, but uh That is Major X number 3 And I gotta say I enjoyed it far more than issue 2 Though I'll admit that's uh, sort of damning with faint praise Uh, At least here I could sort of kind of follow what was going on And uh, the Atlantean subplot was limited to just two pages Which, hey, that's great I do question tying this all back to a weird two-part Wolverine story from 20 years ago Without much in the way of context I know we're going to get more exposition on the in the Zero issue of the Major X series. Uh, I believe that reprints those Wolverine issues with some framing sequences from, you know, present day or present year, I suppose. But uh, if you didn't know about that, I'd imagine you'd be pretty lost right now. I mean, we don't even get an editorial footnote, which, what would that have hurt? You know, a little box saying, this is Wolverine 1, 154, check it out. You know, I mean, that... Might have actually helped get some people into comic shops and uh, maybe get some comic shops looking to clear out some back issues they've been sitting on for a quarter century to, to get them moving out. Hell, maybe it might have even, like, zhuzhed some buys on Comicsology or something. I don't know. Now, as a big fan of lore, that's, you know, one of the things I say a lot on this channel is I love lore, and I'm a fan of any story that embraces the fact that comics actually have a history, I'm very cool with the callback. You know, I can dig it. Uh, Even if I didn't care for the original story, which I did not, I'm digging the fact that we're tying things together here. I mean, I'm still someone who holds out the tiniest sliver of hope that there are potential new readers out there. I don't think there's that many, but I think that they, they do exist. Uh, just chomping at the bit to get into comics, right? They they accidentally fall into a comic shop, and $5 falls out of their wallet, and they walk out with with a pamphlet. I figure those people, those poor people, would be, I mean, totally bamboozled trying to follow along with this, because... Not only does the story not make a whole lot of sense on its face Without the context that almost makes it make sense (laughs) Almost Uh, You're really lost in that case Um, So what do we say about this issue? Um, This is another book that In some ways kind of defies analysis Uh, Really it's it's a collection of fight scenes With some cryptic dialogue mixed in You know That's pretty much what you're paying for with a book like this it's not a bad thing. It's also not a great thing. Um it's inoffensive. It wasn't really boring like the second issue was and uh it did what it does well enough, right? Um I talked a lot about uh Liefeld, it, it, the Liefeld style uh, of writing and drawing back in the first episode of this uh subseries and I uh you know, I, I basically I basically said, you know, you get what you pay for here. You know what you're in for with this sort of a book. And uh, while the second issue was a bit of a disaster in more ways than a regular issue, uh, this one, I mean, you know what you're in for. It's, uh, it does feel like we're back in a 1991 comic book here. I mean, we had... What, three fight scenes? Three, three fight scenes, if we count the Wolverine and McCoy tag thing as a fight I guess they were training, so that, that could count But I mean, this was three fights with cryptic dialogue And uh, allusions to you know past meetings and stuff And it felt very of, well not of its time, but of the time it was trying to evoke So it does what it was trying to do well enough did we learn anything here? Uh, well, uh, McCoy and Wolverine had tangled before their meeting at Xavier's. Um, whether that's sometime in the future, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it'll come back around at some point. I wouldn't count on it, <laughs> but uh, you never know. Uh, I don't remember McCoy being part of the original Watchtower story, but you know, I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. As far as I can tell, uh, we're not even for sure that he's an actual version of, like, the Beast, Hank McCoy. Uh, then again, I've been wrong before. We learned that the Essential was a pupil of the Administrator of the Watchtower and uh, took his fashion sense from Kickass. Um, we're not really sure what his story is just yet, but I'm guessing that'll probably be filled in during the latter half of this miniseries, so it was a decent enough introduction to this guy, I guess. Uh, the Atlanteans, they're still lingering. Uh, which is a little confusing because we saw Nomar and Dora, or whatever her name is. Does that mean that Nomar and Dora also made it out of the existence, or are these just the six-one-six versions of them? And does it even matter? You know, uh, it, it probably will. I maybe it will. I don't know. I'll, I'll do my best to to yawn my way through it because Atlanteans are boring. Let's talk about the yacht. Uh, Rob brought in another image founder for this one In Wills Pertasio, And, uh, you know, this might be some of uh, the best Pertasio work I've seen in quite a while Usually when I see Pertasio's name attached to a book All I picture are very, very scratchy faces And uh, the faces here didn't have the usual scratchiness So uh, that's good with me I actually really dug it I'm not sure if Wills comes back at all during this run I, I know that uh, Brent Peoples comes back for the next issue and I believe Liefeld himself is penciling the final issue, Issue 6. Maybe we'll see Wilson Issue 5? Or maybe not. I mean, I mean, the, book, the stack of books is right here next to me. I could just look, but I think I'd rather be surprised. Um, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Uh, overall, I, I suppose this issue really didn't rock my socks or anything, but on the other hand, it also didn't bore me to tears and really annoy me like Issue 2. So, uh, at the end of the day, I suppose we'll chalk this one up as a win. Net positive, but, uh, not gonna, not gonna rock your socks. Uh, but, uh, that is all I've got to say about Major X number three. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and comments and all that good stuff. Uh, if you would like to reach out and share some of those, or reach out and just say hello, you could do so very easily. I'm a very easy person to find, but, uh, Ain't nobody looking. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, and you could reach out via email at Weird Comics History at Gmail.com. You can find show notes and blog posts and all sorts of stuff at Chris's On uh, The main show, X Lapsed, has its own sub show, that's X You could also join us on the Facebook group, 90s X Men, and uh, the audio archives are at Chris and where you can You know, a whole lot of stuff A whole lot of stuff that uh, you might just enjoy But I think that's where we'll leave it for today I want to thank you all so much for listening I really, really appreciate it And until next time I will, uh, as always, talk to you again Real soon See ya (laughs)